You're listening to the Living Truth Church Podcast, and we're so glad that you're here. If you would like to know more about our church, you can find us at livingtruthchurch.com, on Facebook at Living Truth Church, or on Instagram at LTC underscore Pace. We pray that God uses this teaching to impact your life. Amen. Good morning. It's always good seeing uh, people making that change, right? Amen. Uh, we will be baptized next Sunday, too, after, by the way. Uh, so if you've got some folks making a decision, let us know after the service, and we'll get you in on that. Uh, first, before we get started, I want to, uh, I see, right there, look, we got, we got high school students coming in right now as we speak, right? It was just great to uh, have our students back from camp this week. Uh, I want to thank Jeff Cranford, our student pastor. He's in the back there in the back. Give him a, give him a hand, guy. He, he always... <clears throat> All he ever gets is me giving him a hard time. So give him, give him a hand clap. Thank him. He, he, brought, he took 39 students and brought 39 back. So, hey, that's good. And I, I, and I didn't get any phone calls the whole trip. So that's, I mean, I mean, really, what more do you want after that? You want great things to happen in students' lives, and those things did happen. So glad to hear that. So, um, Let's pray as we get started. Father, we love you and we thank this time together. I pray that you would speak to us plainly and clearly through your word, Lord. Uh, we love you. We trust you, God. And I just pray there'll be no distractions in our minds or any other way this morning that we'll hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So great. It's good to see you today. I know I see uh, people I haven't met before and, uh, and I see uh, that some of you are not sitting where you normally sit, so you should have got here earlier. Um uh, <laughs> And stuff like that. So anyway, fun, just fun, just having fun with you. All right. And uh, but anyway, we have uh, so we're we're in the middle of our study in Revelation right now. So if you're new to our church, just hang on. Uh, the rest of the sermons are online on our podcast, so you can catch up. Um, but today we we pick up uh, in actuality where Revelation eleven fifteen left off, uh, which was several weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> with the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Uh, the sounding of the seventh trumpet was met with the announcement the Lord's kingdom would be underway as a result of the judgments under that trumpet. The next series of judgments, the bold judgments or the final plagues from God which bring about the establishment of his kingdom on earth. So there's been seven seals uh, peeled back and judgments came from that. There have been these trumpet judgments and now we're about to get into the bowls. And if you've not been in all this, some of it will start making sense even if you haven't been, if not caught up with us. But in Revelation 15, it says, then I saw another sign in heaven and this is the Apostle John as he's on the island of Patmos and God is revealing to him things are going to happen as, as Jesus comes back. But it says, then another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So if you've never been in church and you've heard about wrath of God sermons, well, this is one of them, okay? Uh, this is, it's just talking about the truth. It's just letting us know about things that are going to happen at the end. And, you know, it's why you want to get right or get left, right? I mean, this is what it's about. I mean... Uh, so the final preparations for the last of the plagues are in sight. As John sees another sign, he says another sign because he is referencing back to chapter 12 in Revelation to the sign of the woman with the sun and moon 
And if you're with us, if you've been with us, maybe you remember the woman and the dragon that we talked about back in Revelation. In fact, I'm going to read Revelation 12, 1 through 3, just to reference that. It said, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads and seven diadems. Now, we're not going to talk about that this morning, but we did go over all this. If you want to catch up, I mean, that would get me. I'd like, what in the world? I, you know, we, we did already talk about that, and we don't have time. Uh, as I was told by somebody this morning, we're already going to burn a roast, make you burn your roast. Uh, so we're going we're gonna, to, uh, and I did, I've never heard that phrase before. Now I know what it means. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm going to try to stay on task here. So the, ch- the sign in chapter 15 is seven angels with seven plagues on their way to complete the wrath of God upon the rebellious earth. So the things that we're talking about this morning are things yet to happen in the future. As we'll see, these are the seven angels which come out of the temple and are given the, se- the temple in heaven and are given the seven bowls of wrath by the living creature, this heavenly creature that's up there. All right, so uh, the great responsibility given to these angels reflects their great authority and close access to the throne of God. These are some special angels. They got, like, get to go in where God's at, the presence of God, and they get to come out and execute his game plan. Later, one of these seven angels shows John two women, the harlot in Revelation 17 and the bride in Revelation 29, 21. Uh, these are the last plagues. They're, they're not, they're not repeat, repeats of previous plagues. So I've got to ask, is it, is it just me or is it painfully obvious that God delays his judgment? It's like he's putting this off. And, and dare I share this, uh, but I will share it. Okay. Uh, I'm not afraid of a lot of dares. So uh, when I was a kid, my mom and dad, they, they took us. There was three kids. I was the oldest. Uh, so I, you know, was the path, you know, out there leading the charge and messing up. But, uh, but, but my mom and dad went to visit some folks one night, hanging out, whatever, partying, whatever they were doing. Okay. But while we were there, I said something, I, I, I made a, a grave mistake. Now look, I, I have no room to talk. I got a big nose, it's crooked and all that and stuff. And I made fun of my dad's nose in front of other adults. Now I don't know where you come from. But when we got in the car to go home, well I thought I was funny. You know, but when we got in the car to go home, I felt the wrath of my dad. What I was going to get when I got home. Any of y'all know what I was probably going to get when I got home? It wasn't going to be time out, I can tell you that. I was time out and in the car all the way home. And, you know, I was back there praying. I was a Christian by then, by the way, so I had God I could pray to, and God, please help me, please help me, help him forget or something, whatever. But I knew I had, I knew I had messed up, and I felt really bad. And I didn't want to feel any badder, if you know what I mean. So uh, we got home, and I'm just going to say, I don't know if he forgot or what. Or kids, i just going to tell you, your parents, really, when they say it hurts me worse than it hurts you, they mean that. They, we don't want to whip our kids, you know. But I will, I will give credit because a couple whippings in my life did help me 
you know, so I, I do approve of that. But I'm saying God delays judgment. You delay judgment. You're, you're people sometimes, you know. You don't really want to have to do that. God sends warning after warning, sign after sign, chance after chance for mankind to come around. For mankind to repent. That is, turn from his sin and his wicked ways and turn to Christ. Why does God do that? God does that because he does, he loves us and he doesn't want us to pay for our sins. He, he, sent his one and only son to die on the cross. That's how much he loves you, to offer payment, the price of our sins. The wrath of God must be satisfied. You see, justice must be served. And that is what Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross did. The theological word for that is propitiation. That means God's wrath has to be satisfied. Some the you got to pay the piper. I mean, something it's got to it, it's going to have to happen. And then that's why Jesus came. So when Jesus, uh, I want you to get this. So when Jesus was here, he spent roughly three years for mainly these twelve guys, right? And then, but we also know that amongst those twelve, he had three of them that he like, hey, let's go over here, boys, right? You know who those were? Who were they? Peter, James, and John, right? All right, so John called himself the one whom Jesus loved. Yeah, at, you know, he kind of got, you know, a little wordy with that one time, and boys got mad about that. But that's why he called himself, and he's the one that writes Revelation. So he, they were kind of, yeah, yeah. And then James, he was the first to be martyred. I bet he, well, I should say, he probably would have read the right Revelation, but uh, almost all of them were martyred, I believe. But anyway, legend has that. But Peter, now Peter's the one always putting his foot in his mouth, right? But Peter was also the one that was the first one to confess that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was also the one that got up out of the boat and walked on water, right? I, I'm just saying something about these to know how close these were, particularly Peter and John reference what we're talking about. This is who we're getting a lot of these stuff that's going to happen at the end from. These were two guys that had the confidence of Jesus. I mean, when they went away over here, let's talk about this, it was these guys. And it's Peter that pronounced that the day of the Lord will come. I want us to look at 2 Peter 3, this morning. Now, I, I've, all this time that we've been going Revelation, I've been quoting from different passages in the Bible because it all fits together. And the way to know what the Bible means is let Scripture interpret Scripture. But I haven't really hit much on Peter, but I want you to see this morning, Peter gives us kind of the cliff notes of what's going to happen at the end. It says in 2 Peter 3, verse 1, it says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you Beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of a reminder. Listen, we need to be stirred up. 
Have you ever had anything in this lifetime that has shaken you up a little bit? And it was a time when you needed to be stirred up? When you read the Scriptures, some of these things that we're talking about in Revelation, man, they, they automatically, what did I read a minute ago? This woman, the sun, the moon, and this red dragon. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, man, I hope you got stirred up to go, I need to read about that. Right? God's not wasting Holy Spirit breath. I don't know about you, but, but when, I'm talk, when I'm around my kids or something, they want to talk about something. If they ain't listening, I don't want to talk. Right? Do you like wasting your breath? If you're coaching, you want to waste your breath. If you're teaching, you want to waste your breath. Teachers, there's a shout out. You're about to start back. Right? Love it. You're teaching right there, and the kids are all looking over there. Man, by the way, sometimes this morning, some of y'all nodding off. I'll look at you. If you're nodding off, I don't look at you, by the way. Not, not, they weren't even paying attention. Not, would you do that to them? No, I'm just kidding. Why? Why did I do that? That's just me. I'm sorry. We need to be stirred up. He says, Peter says this, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. He said, all this stuff is written down. All of these things associated with the day of the Lord have been prophesied. We've had advanced warning. I mean, how often have I quoted the Old Testament prophets to you during this series, right? We've been quoting from the Old Testament. Listen, none of this should be a surprise to anyone. God does everything that he does out in the open. Jesus was crucified in public. It wasn't even a hidden way place. It was up on a hill where everybody could see. Back to Peter. He says, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Scoffing, last days, people doing whatever they want, following their own sinful desires. Do I need to even speak to that? Is that today? I mean, that's the definition of today, isn't it? They will say, these people, they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? What's he coming back? Y'all talking like he's coming back. Where's the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And he says, for they deliberately overlook. What's that mean? For they deliberately, deliberately overlook. Men choose to believe a lie. They deliberately overlook. They deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God and that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept under the day until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The world mocks the very idea of the judgment of God and ignore that he did it once with the flood. Listen, the world that we live in today, they try to explain away the flood, don't they? And every time you see a rainbow, remember 
the promise that I'll not destroy the earth with a flood again. And he won't, but a fiery judgment looms. What has our world done with creation? Teachers, y'all going back to school and you're not even going to be able to teach in the beginning God. In fact, you better not reference that or else you get fired, right? Am I telling, is that right? Is that correct? Okay. This is what he's saying right here. The world. You see, in the end, God, people are going to say God's creator. They're going to worship God as creator. But right now, the world we're in will not tolerate that. And the rainbow, look what the world's done with the rainbow. That's not just some funny thing. That, that's pure evil. Trying to rob what God has designed. God said, hey, this, hey y'all, this is a pro- I want you, every time y'all see that beautiful rainbow, sometimes you'll see a double rainbow. He said, I just want y'all to remember, I'm not going to destroy with the flood again. That's what it means. But when I turn on Hulu, that's not what it means. Peter's saying, judgment happened already once. Look, God started over with eight people. And y'all even act like that didn't happen. He says, as sure as that happened, this other one is going to happen. See, God's not making idle threats. He said, I did it once, and I'm going to do it again. And Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 10, look, I'm just telling y'all what the Bible says. I ain't mad at nobody. I'm just telling you what it says. I thank God that he told us before it happens. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that what the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but all should reach repentance. Here it is. Don't underestimate God. He's not slacking. He hasn't forgotten. He's going to deal with sin. He will deal with mankind's rejection and mistreatment of his son. It's coming. Don't confuse his slowness to judgment for forgetfulness. He's not thought, he's not like my dad at night, maybe for God, maybe not. It was probably more like mercy and grace, right? And God, that's what God has is mercy and grace. But the day of the Lord, Peter says, will come like a thief. And then the, let me pause it. It says, will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth. And the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord will come, and this tiny description by Peter that we have here is the detailed explanation we've been getting from John in Revelation. You notice that? We're, we're reading the long version of Revelation right now. Peter gives us in 2 Peter chapter 3, cliff notes. And we all get this from two guys that hung out close to Jesus They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down so that a couple thousand years later we, we can know about it. All that to say, back to Revelation chapter 15. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass and harps of God in their hands. 
this sea of glass is under the throne of God and it's comparable to the river of life that Ezekiel saw in uh, Ezekiel 1, uh, 22. Uh, it's clear as crystal. The transparency of the glass is similar to that of streets of pure gold, New Jerusalem. And while there's room for much speculation on the sea of glass mingled with fire, there are some commonalities. The clarity of the glass speaks of purity and perhaps the washing as in water because these folks have come through intense tribulation and now stand upon the sea. And that's reminiscent of the salvation of Israel from Egypt in Exodus chapter 15. God gives us all these examples along the way. The sea is clear like glass, but it also radiates brilliant light. And this is where more, of the, more speculation comes into play. Mingled with fire could reflect the purging and redemptive power of the blood of Christ. Or it may reflect a purity, as Peter suggests in 1 Peter 1, 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And a more different possibility is that the fire notates the redness of the blood of the martyrs themselves shed as part of their testimony. The big idea, however, is that they are purified and safe. Those who defeated the beast and its image are standing by the sea of glass, ready to make music to God as they have harps in their hands. It's all over. As the psalmist says in Psalm 30, pain comes at night, but joy comes in the morning. In chapter 15 of Revelation says, And I sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The song of Moses and of the Lamb, it's the same song, different names, exhibits unity between the law and love. John 1.17 says, The written law was given by Moses, and grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Both are key components of God's will for man. The salvation and baptism of Israel is seen vividly in the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. The Israelites were trapped between a mountain and the sea, which was, and, and, and there were angry Egyptian armies in hot pursuit. They were literally between a rock and a hard place, and God saved them. And Moses led the people in a song of salvation. And the song, the, the song recognizes the uniqueness of God. As, as it says in Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And these were similar to the very words that were attributed to the Antichrist in Revelation 13 after his mortal wound was healed, if you remember that. It says that the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshipped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? But right here in chapter 15, the new song recognizes the uniqueness of God. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And 
Both songs indicate that God is to be revered and feared. It seems as though there is less fear of God today than ever before. The world does not take God seriously. They don't respect and they don't revere God as in the past. The world does not respect God as creator. I can say that. You know that. It's not taught in our books. Nor do they respect his creation or his laws. Is it any wonder that in the end times that God brings the heat and lots of it? You see, people are not easily shaken. You know, a near-miss tornado sometimes will get people to get right with God. I said that in the last service, and we had people sitting here that had that experience, and I didn't say it because of that, but that's, it happens. A health scare sometimes. So I don't know. Sometimes things happen in our lives that are big, and they make us turn to God. We had at the men's bar meeting a guy that I, every time I think of something like this, I think about this guy. This guy was out in the pond away from everybody else, just relaxing in it, and an alligator came and bit off his arm. As a result, he came to know Jesus. Amen. Uh, amen, right? Wouldn't you think, right? Let me ask, what did it take for you to turn to Jesus? I mean, we're reading some horror stuff here from the Bible, right? Would you rather just read some horror stuff or have horror stuff happen? In the end times, stars and meteorites are going to be falling out of the sky. I mean, it's going to be crazy. Some of the water is going to be undrinkable. All kind of bad things are going to happen. And the people are going to be unfazed by that. People aren't going to turn to God. They're not going to fall down and repent. They're going to get madder at God. By the way, the more you say no to God, the harder it gets to say yes. Resisting. You resist, you're building up muscles to resist. It gets easier and easier to say no and harder and harder to say yes. It's, you are hardening your heart. Like right now, God has been speaking to you or somebody to take some kind of next step in Christ, something to do. And if you say no to him again, it's just making it easier for you to say no and harder for you to say. I'm just telling you. I do believe that there is a collective worldwide hardening of the heart going on right now as the world is in rebellion against God as creator. And it will only get worse during this time of tribulation as the church is already out. Not won't be in the influence of the church. So the, the lack of response to the many plagues during the tribulation will testify to how hard hearts can really get. Again, I ask you, what did it take for God to get your attention? Or maybe it's this question. What will it take 
forgot to get your attention. The God-honoring part of our culture's heritage has been largely dismissed in this cancel culture. And that is a huge error because you can't cancel God. Where is the awe? Where is the remembrance? Where is the fear of the Lord? He says, O king of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. All nations will come and worship God. What nation could that be said of today? I don't know of any. None totally. Nevertheless, all nations will bow before him because it says so. And this can be your confidence, Christian. While the world ridicules you for standing on the promises of God, they will be dealt with. The many passages which speak of the entire world acknowledging God and worshiping before him will be consummated. Psalm 46.10, Psalm 86.9. But even now, there's a remnant. There are people that are worshiping God. Revelation 15 says, And after this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. So the, the worshipers upon the sea of glass are seen after the beast has initiated his mark, the mark of the beast, but before the pouring forth of the final seven bowls of wrath, if the worship of the beast and institution of his mark occur at the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel, this indicates that the bowls of wrath are poured forth as part of the last half of the tribulation. So we're looking at the last three and a half years, most likely. The tent of witness was open. So he looks up into heaven, the sanctuary of God, the tent of witness was open. Why? Because this answers the question, what right does God have to judge man? He rolls out the Ten Commandments. Y'all kept them. That's his right. Out of the sanctuary of God, the temple in heaven, come the seven angels bringing the last phase of the judgment. And note that these, are, these angels are coming from the very presence of God, indicating what they're about to do is authorized by the Creator. They're not just doing something on their own. So whatever is about to come from the temple is a manifestation of God's judgment for those who fall short of the testimony of the law and who have not sought Christ for refuge from God's wrath. All you really need to know this morning is that Jesus is your safety net. <laughs> You're like, oh, all this weird stuff. We're talking. Oh, you just need to know Jesus. The righteous requirement of the law judges those who are guilty and under judgment of God's wrath. Romans 2, 12, Romans 3, 19, and 20. For the law brings about wrath, Romans 4, 15. Believers will not be subject to the written requirements which were taken away in Christ. Colossians 2, 14. Listen, in Christ we have been set free. All right? Don't have, you don't have to be getting all, oh, this is intense. No, no, you just need to know Jesus. Revelation 15, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden 
bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of seven angels were finished. So there's a parallel between the golden bowls of wrath and the golden bowls of incense, which if you remember, the golden bowls of incense were the prayers of the saints. The wrath contained in these bowls represents God's response to the billions of prayers of those that were kept in those bowls. The prayers over the ages by the saints to avenge the blood of the martyrs. God, how long, God, are you going to let them keep killing us? Oh, it's coming. This is it. God will bring judgment and his kingdom to earth. These seven worst plagues are reminders of God's promise to Israel. If she refused to heed his prior judgments designed to turn her back to him, the, the, the judgments are always designed to turn his people back. We read in uh, Leviticus 26, 27, and 28. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. The seven bowls are poured forth in the next chapter, in chapter 16. Uh, there God will administer his wine of wrath upon those who worship the beast. Now, although God has been within the temple, he, his Shekinah glory now manifests itself. Such manifestations of his presence typically show up at the monumental moments of great importance. His glory filled the tabernacle in the wilderness, indicating his approval and presence among the children of Israel. Here we have perhaps the most mysterious and perhaps maybe wondrous verse in all of Scripture. It seems to indicate a period of, of great privacy and intensity in the mind of God attending the final outpouring of his wrath. It probably indicates an unwillingness to allow for even the possibility of distraction until what has been initiated finds its completion and likely signifies the holiness of of the moment, as when Moses could not enter into the tabernacle when glory of God fell upon it in Exodus 40, and when the priests could not minister in Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. Perhaps the idea is that of the finality of the action. We read in Jeremiah 15, 1 and 2, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, God said, my mind would not be favorable toward the people. Cast them out of my sight, such as are for death to death. No one is coming near. There is no talking God out of it this time, Moses. I don't know if you followed that story with Moses and Jesus, God and the Israelites, but more than one occasion, God was like ready to strike them down, and, and Moses talked him out of it. Or at least that's how it reads. So there's a lot of speculation on why God closes the door for privacy, but maybe it's just simply his way of saying it's finished. Or God suffers alone. Mm. Today, if you're still listening, please hear and heed his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Don't walk out here going, no, one more time. Don't go one more time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, 
What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What sort of people ought you to be? All of the warnings, all of the prophecies are not meant to be wasted Holy Spirit breath. But for a response. All that we're talking about is so that you hear it, it gets you right here, and you go. You follow him. You turn from sin. You turn to Jesus. What sort of people ought you to be? That is, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. How much of your time is spent in pursuing the holiness of God? Do you consciously pursue godliness, or is that even on your radar? I'm talking to me. Are you diligently and urgently waiting on the coming day of the Lord? Are you even taking this seriously? It is time for you to make final preparations. You know how you prepare for a trip. I don't know about you. I like to prepare for a trip so the next day I'm ready to go. Look, consider all that we've talked about the last few weeks today and today are you prepared. God gave me a little something recently. Right now, somebody in our church said, They'd had, they'd had a family member pass away and they had to be the one to execute the will and they, call, they got a hold of me to contact me and say, hey, would you please pray because I got to execute the will and some family members are already going all militant on me. You know, and I said to him, I said, I said, you've got nothing to worry about. You see, because all you're doing is what is already written down. That's a legal document. You don't have any power. You are just executing that. It, it is binding. It's not really your problem. If indeed revelation is the last will and testament, and I believe it is as we've studied, you can go all militant on God but it is written. You will absolutely get what you had coming to you. Unlike some man-made wills, there will be no mistakes. Judgment will be fair. You lived just as you wanted to and you will get just as you did with an exception. For those who have given their lives to Christ and live for Christ, you will get more than you possibly could ever ask for or dream of. And you'll not get what you deserve. Praise the Lord. We will get better than we deserve. 
You see, God's last will and testament, it's already written. You see, according to Scripture, you can absolutely know how things are going to end for you. Why would you live up to the end guessing or a roll of dice taking a chance when you can know? A friend of mine posted something about the lottery being at a billion dollars. I don't play the lottery. Don't suggest you play the lottery. But some people got one in millions of chance to win that. Right? Right now, we're talking about something you've got one in one chance to go to the kingdom of heaven or one in one chance to remain in the kingdom of darkness because you are in the kingdom of darkness until you come cross over. That's why Jesus had to die to pay the price. reason it's the gospel is called news good news is it's already paid for you ain't got to buy a ticket you don't have to get with a group of friends and buy a group ticket 25 of you get together and split it 25 ways no uh-huh i know how some of y'all are. No, you don't have to it's paid you just got to turn to Jesus. Now is your time to respond. Hey, we're so glad that you joined us for worship this morning. We know that God is moving in the hearts and lives of anybody that hears his word, and we want to encourage you to take the step that the Holy Spirit's prompting you to take. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This morning, the Word of God was preached, and we know that it has the supernatural ability to go down deep inside us and change us from the inside out. We want to encourage you to take the step that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take. If you'll download the Living Truth Church app for any any app store, there's a Next Steps tab, and there's a list of different things that the Holy Spirit may be telling you to do. There are ways for you to respond. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Himself. Well, there's no better time to follow Jesus than right now. And you can let us know that in the app. clicking follow Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're a Christian and the next step you need to take is baptism or beginning to serve in the church or giving or getting plugged into a CPR group. One of those things, you know, many other things as well. Let us know in the app. We want to come alongside you. If you'll fill that form out, we'll be able to come alongside you and help you take those steps. Um, We know that if you're a believer, you're a stepper. You are somebody who never stops. You never become stagnant. We should always be walking with Jesus and taking steps to follow him. So if you heard the word of God this morning, there's steps for you to take, and we want to encourage you to take those. Um, So if you would, join me in prayer. Um, Dear Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's watching with us today. We thank you that they're here. We thank you that they've heard your word, God, and we pray that you'll speak to them, that you'll you'll draw them to yourself, God, and you'll you'll tell them the steps that they need to take as they follow you. Um, God, we pray that you'll give them the boldness and courage to be obedient to what it is you're telling them to do. Um, God, we pray that you'll move in their lives and use them. We love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for salvation. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, y'all have a great week.